0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a
1: series of programs on the subject of tithing and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now in the previous broadcast I was explaining that there is a significant difference between produce and income and that it's very important to understand these differences because the produce is what is produced by the land, and the income is generally what comes from what people produce from those things that were produced from the land. And the reason why it's so important to understand the differences between produce and income is because when the Lord gave us the tithe, when he gave the commandments concerning tithing, The tithe was only on the produce and not on the income. It's very important to understand that. Now, once you understand that, this is what I was explaining in the previous program, then we can start talking about the delivery of the tithe. The delivery of the tithe is very, very important to understand because it explains why the Israelites were expected to go to Jerusalem during certain festivals. They were expected to go to Jerusalem on the Passover. They were expected to go to Jerusalem during the Feast of Weeks. They were expected to go to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. And these festivals coincided with the time periods when they would harvest their crops from the land. That was the significance of these festivals as they related to the tithe. The relationship between the festivals and the tithe had to do with the fact that this was a convenient opportunity to deliver your tithe, because you would be ready to deliver it. You will have harvested from your land. You will have collected your produce. Now, I have not directly quoted from any scriptures concerning the subject of tithing up to this point. And I want you to know that this is intentional, that I intentionally have not quoted from any scriptures up to this point. And the main reason why I have not done that is, first of all, because chances are you're in your car, you're driving around, you're not going to necessarily pull out your Bible and start reading it. That's not a good idea. But beyond that, the reason why I've not quoted from any scriptures yet is because in general, people don't care when it comes to the subject of tithing. People do not really care what the scriptures have to say about the subject of tithing. And so there's not really much value in quoting the scriptures when it comes to this, because people just don't care about the scriptures when it comes to this subject. The reason why I feel confident in being so bold as to say, That people do not care about the scriptures is because if they did, then they would read the law concerning tithing. They would really read it. And if they read it, then I sincerely believe that they would understand what I am already explaining, that people would know what I am explaining in these radio programs if they read the law for themselves. What I have discovered is that there are many people who are on the payroll of Christian organizations, of churches and ministries. There are a lot of people who are on the payroll, and they believe in something that they call tithing, but it's not the tithing of the Bible. And I've explained a number of reasons why I would say that already, and I'm going to explain a few more. But people who are on the payroll generally do not believe what I am expressing and the only conclusion that I can come to is because they haven't read the scriptures concerning this subject, that they don't care enough to do that. Now, I believe that many people, especially in leadership positions, senior pastors, people like that, I believe that they probably have read the scriptures concerning this subject and they have deliberately intentionally kept people from knowing what the scriptures have to say. I believe that people have been very deliberate about that. And I believe, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, I believe that the main reason, the number one reason why they have chosen not to tell people the truth about this is because they're afraid. I believe that they're afraid. And they should be afraid, because if these people stop giving their tithes, they're probably not going to be able to pay their bills. So they have reason to be afraid. But that's the kind of decision that I believe everyone needs to be faced with, that everyone needs to be faced with and make a choice concerning this matter, that you will either believe in the truth and hold to the truth regardless of what it will cost you, or you will not. Those are the only two options. You can't pretend that you believe and hold on to the truth when you deny it and you hide it from people who want it to be hidden from them. That's the thing. It's not so much a matter of the leadership. People assume for some strange reason that if you can just straighten the leadership out, then everyone else in their congregation will follow. And it really doesn't work that way. It is the people, it is the people who decide. They are the ones who make the ultimate decision to give their money to these organizations or not. It is the people who decide. And so I believe that the people need to be informed and the people need to read the scriptures and the people need to be told that there is something about this subject in the law and that it's very clear and they need to read it for themselves they need to assume personal responsibility for themselves and for their own faith now i'm going to begin to read from deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 23 when it comes to this subject I'm going to start out here. I just think that this is a good place to start. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23, it says, You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. I would just like to start here in verse 23 and point out a few things. The first thing I want you to see is that he says that you are to tithe of your grain. You are to take a tenth of the grain that you harvest. And this also includes the fruit of the trees and other seeds that you may acquire. You are to take of your grain and a tenth of it, and that is to be delivered. He also says new wine. He speaks of wine. Now, wine is not something that is produced In the context of income, it is still something that is part of produce, even though it is manufactured in a certain way after it has been harvested. That's correct. In an earlier program, I gave an example of a loaf of bread that you would tithe on the grain, but if you use the grain to make bread, you don't tithe again on the bread that you made. That has to do with income when you sell it or you trade it for something else. When it comes to wine, wine is not something that is intentionally manufactured in the same way as a loaf of bread. If you put grape juice into a container, it will eventually ferment and turn into wine on its own. There's nothing extra that you need to do. And so this does still fit in the category of produce because it just simply ferments in the container that you put it in. There's nothing more complicated about that. If you take a look at grapes, you will probably notice that there's a white powder on the grape. This powder is yeast. It is a natural yeast that exists everywhere. It's in the air. There's no way to escape it. And that will cause fermentation. Now, I used to do advanced research in biology and chemistry as a computer scientist. And I used to do research with one of the most well-known experts in yeast in the world, And I asked him this question once. I asked him, how long would it take for that yeast to have an effect on the grape once you took it off of the vine? If you took it off of the vine, you would expose a part of the grape that is not protected by skin because of the way that the grape is attached to the vine. And if you took that off, how long would it take before the yeast began to turn the grape into alcohol? How long would it take for the fermentation Process to occur. And he said, well, just a matter of minutes and it would begin to take place, and the presence or the existence of alcohol would be there. It can actually happen a little faster if you eat the grape and it goes into your body, then because of the temperature that your body is at, it will increase, it will accelerate the process of fermentation. And by the time it makes it into your stomach and the rest of your body, you will have alcohol in your system. That's one of the reasons why the Nazarite was never permitted to eat the grape of the vine, because he would be consuming alcohol. And so this debate that people have about whether or not Jesus made grape juice or alcoholic wine, this debate is completely fictitious, because No matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, there will always be the existence of alcohol. I understand that there will be variations, but you know, if you choose not to consume any alcohol under any circumstances ever, and I can appreciate that, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, I'm just saying that if you choose to do that, your body will actually manufacture it anyway, because it needs it. It needs it for certain metabolic processes. And so I realize that this debate about alcohol is very important to a lot of people, but to me, it's just not that important because I understand the chemistry associated with this subject. Now, of course, if that doesn't disturb you, keep listening. I've got another verse I'm going to read you in just a moment about this subject, and I think you'll find it quite interesting, to say the least, when it comes to the subject of alcohol, especially in the way that it relates to tithing. Now, continuing in verse 23, this is Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23, he speaks of oil, and he speaks of the firstborn of the herd and the flock, but you would also deliver a tenth of your flock. Now, a tenth of your flock means that you would count one animal after the next, and the tenth animal would be selected. If you had 19 animals, you would not deliver 1.9 animals that's not how it works you would deliver one animal if you had 20 animals then you would deliver two animals and so in this sense you are on average delivering less than a tenth of the animals that you have in your flock or in your herd that's one way of recognizing that the amount that you would deliver would probably be less than a tenth of your produce. Probably be the case, but there is a lot more to say about this. First, I want to complete this issue of delivery. Just what would you deliver? Now, when it comes to agriculture and it comes to transportation, sometimes it can be difficult to transport your tithe to Jerusalem, especially if you live far away from Jerusalem. If you live in the Galilee, for example if you live so far away that it takes you three days to travel from your home to deliver your tithe to Jerusalem, the transportation issue is going to be a serious issue. Now, back then, they didn't have a rail system. They didn't have trains. You couldn't just go to the train depot and load up your stuff and have it shipped to Jerusalem. It didn't work that way. Transportation was a very serious matter, a very serious subject. So, what would you do if you could not move? if you simply did not have the resources to move all of your produce that you were going to tithe, and that would be a tenth of your produce, if you could not physically move it all, then what can you do? Well, there were two things that you could do. There were two possibilities. The first one is found here in Deuteronomy chapter 14. I'll refer to it first. And that is that if you were not able to deliver your tithe, then according to verse 25, it says, Then you shall exchange it for money and bind the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. So if you are unable to deliver it, then you can sell it, you can exchange it for money. And what was this money? The money was silver. That's the word that's used here. It is silver that you are to acquire in exchange for your produce This silver would have already been taxed when it was mined, and so there's no need to try to calculate what you would tithe on the trade of the silver in order to trade it for this other produce. That's not how things worked. You would exchange it for silver, and then you could deliver it. Now, let me read verse 24 and then verse 25 again, and I think you'll see the whole picture. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 24, it says, If the distance is so great for you that you are not able to bring the tithe, since the place where the Lord your God chooses to set his name is too far away from you, when the Lord your God blesses you, then you shall exchange it for money and bind the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses." So you could exchange it for silver and then bring the silver. That was one way that you could handle it. The other way that you could handle it is described in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Go back two chapters. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 21, it says, If the place which the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter of your herd and flock which the Lord has given you as I have commanded you, and you may eat within your gates whatever you desire. Now that is if it's too far, in the sense you cannot deliver it. It's a delivery problem. It's a transportation problem. So those were the two options. You could either sell it and bring the money, or you could consume. A large part of it. Now, you still had to go to Jerusalem. Just because you're too far doesn't mean you're not supposed to be there. It just means it's going to take you longer to get there. But if you are too far, then the expense of transportation might be greater than what you can afford, than what you can handle. Even if you used the tithe in order to cover the expenses of delivering what was left of the tithe, there comes a point when it's not feasible. So these were the two options that the Lord put in place. Now, of course, the Lord did say that you could not eat your tithe within your gates. He said that, but this is, of course, an exception to that, and that is in the event that you cannot physically move it. Now, going back to Deuteronomy chapter 14, beginning in verse 23, I want you to see that that is what you are supposed to do with your tithe. You are supposed to eat your tithe. Beginning in verse 22, this is Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22, it says, You shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. "...you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always." Now, don't be confused by these commas. It really does say that you are to eat your tithe in the presence of the Lord. You're also to eat it on your way to Jerusalem. You are to consume it. If you go to verse 26, it says you may spend the money, referring to the silver that you would have exchanged because you couldn't deliver everything, you may spend the money for whatever your heart desires. That is Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 26, that you are to spend your tithe for whatever your heart desires. Now, what do you suppose could be included in that? Well, you just keep reading for oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink. Now, this translation is a little bit misleading. What that really says is, is that you are to use your tithe You are to use it to purchase and consume strong alcohol to the point of intoxication. Or whatever your heart desires, and there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. That is how you deliver the tithe. You bring it to Jerusalem and you consume it. You consume it. Now... You might feel tempted to consume it all. And that is why he said in verse 27, also, you shall not neglect the Levite who is in your town, for he has no portion or inheritance among you. And he mentions this in all the other passages referring to the tithe. Don't forget the Levite. Why would he have to say that? Why would he have to say that? If he says you are to deliver a tenth of it to the Levites, then how can you forget the Levites? Well, you can forget the Levites because you're partying with it. That's why. Because you're consuming it. Because you're getting drunk over it. Because you are enjoying it. You might feel tempted to just consume it all, you know, extend your trip a little bit more, stay in Jerusalem a few extra days before you go back home to really enjoy all that the Lord gave you in the production, in the productivity of the land that he gave you. He gave you the land. You used your labor and together you produced something. You produce something of great value and now you're going to enjoy it, to really enjoy it. And so do that, but don't forget the Levite. Don't forget the Levite because you can consume it all. This tells me, this should tell everyone, that the amount that the people actually delivered to the Levites was significantly less than 10%. Significantly less. Much less. So little, or the potential could have been so little, that the Lord had to remind the people, now remember, don't forget the Levites when you do this. I mean, don't forget them entirely. Remember that they do depend on that, and so by all means, deliver something. When would it be delivered? It would be delivered on your way out of town. If you did not deliver it on your way out of town, then there is risk that you would not have consumed it while you were in town. This is very important to see because there are so many people who are so focused on this 10% thing. They're so focused on it that I have heard a number of people say that the Israelites gave much more than 10%. They couldn't have. If they did, they would have violated the law of the tithe. If they did not buy whatever their hearts desired, food, wine, strong drink to the point of intoxication even, if they failed to do that, they would have violated Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 26. If they delivered it all, then they would not be obedient to God. So when I hear people speaking about the subject of tithing, and they use this word obedient all the time, and they use this word holiness all the time, what they have created in their own minds about this subject, is a complete total distortion from what God intended, a total distortion. And the people who are contributing to this, the people who are delivering their tithe, are encouraging the distortion. You are encouraging the lie. You are perpetuating, you are supporting the lie. And I want to encourage you to stop that, I want you to read the law to understand the law. If you want to be obedient to God, then do it. Really do it, because what you are doing now is a total distortion. It's not it. Please, read the law. If you want to follow the law, follow the law. And really do it. Really follow it. And if you don't, fine, I can understand that. But at least be honest. Be honest about this. You had to deliver your tithe to Jerusalem. Now, let me ask you something. Are you an Israelite? Now, I'm an Israelite. Should I deliver a tithe? Who am I going to deliver it to? I have to deliver it to the Levitical priesthood. If I'm going to obey the law, if I'm going to be righteous and holy before God, if I'm going to be obedient to His commandments, if I'm going to follow what He has said in the Old Covenant, then I have to find the Levitical priesthood and deliver a tenth of what I have produced. And if I don't do that, then I am evil. That's what the law says. Where is the Levitical priesthood? It's not here. Now, at the time of this recording, it's not here. And I believe eventually it's going to be reestablished. It will be reestablished in Israel. And you can get on a plane and you can fly out there and you can make a delivery of your tithe to the Levitical priesthood that gets reestablished there at the temple. You can do that. I'm sure that they would welcome your contribution towards that. But that has nothing to do with the new covenant. It has nothing to do with the Lord Jesus at all. What people have created is so disconnected from the law, from the Bible, from the scriptures. It's so disconnected that what people believe is of God is not of God at all. It comes to the point where sometimes you have to wonder if they worship another God. Now, having said all of that, again, I want to repeat, as I have said in previous programs, that I do believe in contributing to the work that God is involved in and to the work that he has given other people to do. I do believe in that. The work that I do is completely dependent on the donations that people make. I'm not saying these things to discourage you from contributing to ministries. If you want to give 5%, if you want to give 10%, if you want to give 20%, if you want to live on 10% and give 90%, by all means, do it. But whatever you do, do not call it a tithe. Don't do that, because when you do that, you take something away from the law. You remove it from the scriptures, and you create something else that does not exist. Don't call it that. If you're going to talk about tithing, if you're going to refer to tithing, talk about it and refer to it in its true historical context, because it has a very important place in the work that God has done and is continuing to do. It has its place. Do not take it away. Do not remove it by creating something else and saying that what you have created is what it really is, because it isn't. It keeps people from understanding what was taking place in the Israelite society. Take this subject seriously and use the law for the reason that our God gave it. Now, in the next program, I'm going to expand on this, and I'm going to explain to you some of the details concerning the responsibilities of the Levites. The reason why you need to understand the responsibilities of the Levites is so that you can fully appreciate what the Lord meant when he said that Jesus is our priest, that he is our high priest. The Levitical priesthood was a foreshadowing of the real priesthood that is headed up by the Lord Jesus, who is not a Levite. It is very important to see the foreshadowing first and then the reality. And the law is the foreshadowing. It is the foreshadowing that our God gave so that he could explain something else, and that something else is the Lord Jesus, and the relationship that he has with us is different from the relationship that the Levites had with the other Israelites. There is a difference, and I'll explain this in the next program.